2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. This is the living word of God. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, indeed, we praise you for your indescribable gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of your word, your holy word. It's living and active. And we praise you, Father, that we now have heard it. Lord, we long to understand it more, to apply it for the glory of your name. Father, fill us with your spirit. May you be pleased in the attitudes of our hearts. Open our eyes, Father, that we might behold the wondrous things from your law. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in the previous three sermons on stewardship, which is the theme this year, kind of generally the theme of uh, the elders shepherding of you all, you may not have noticed, we may not have asked you exactly specific questions about shepherding, but in a sense, we always are asking, how, how, or stewardship, I'm sorry, how are you doing in the stewardship of these various areas? That's our desire in our shepherding meetings. And the first sermon was from Luke 16. It was a basic understanding of what is a steward, and what is a faithful steward, what is an unfaithful steward, and that was from Luke 16. And then the, we spent a little time in Psalm 90 thinking about what does it mean to be a steward of the time that God gives us. And the main verse was, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As Rodney was just hearing, we should ask God for wisdom in how to use everything he gives us, including the time each day, each minute, that he gives us. And then finally, the, the one previous was uh, the stewardship of the Word of God. The great blessings that we have, that we have the Word of God and we are called to uh, disperse it. it. That was from 2 Timothy 3. And in the sermon from Luke 16, uh, on the characteristics of a faithful steward, one of the points that I shared was that we are to be accountable, to be productive, and to be fruitful. Stewards are supposed to be fruitful. One cross-reference, of course, was Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply. And then Proverbs 3.9 and 10. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your possessions. They're really his, but he gives us things, of course. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So we're to honor him 
as stewards. He's given us much. We are to use those possessions for his glory. And the first fruits of all the increase that he gives us also, as the Lord blesses us. And then it says, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. What an amazing promise as we honor the Lord with our possessions. Indeed, may we here be fruitful with all that he has given us and may we honor him with the possessions and the wealth that he has entrusted to us. Now the word of God has many references to money and to giving Our Lord, in fact, on earth referred many times to money and wealth. And this is my kind of rough definition of where I'm going here. I believe the task of the steward regarding money and wealth and possessions, and really the heart of a steward, is that we would preserve and increase, that we would give and use the wealth of our master, which has been entrusted to us for the master's people and for the extension of the master's kingdom. First Chronicles 29. In this, at this time, the people were giving so willingly for the building of the temple. They, they just kept giving and giving. And they were so joyful in seeing the kingdom built. And so they wanted that. They rejoiced in it. They gave amazingly. And it said, beginning, beginning in verse 9, the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart, they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. So they gave willingly, and then King David prayed this. He said, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. The king owns it all. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. Riches come from him, and you reign over all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. And then David humbled himself and said, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. And that's what we, as stewards, can rejoice in. That Lord gives abundantly to us, and he gives us grace to uh, give from his abundance. And this is how faithful stewards feel, I I believe, about their money or wealth or possessions. They know it is all of God's, and it was given to them, given to us to enjoy and to use for what his master, what our master desires, and for what uh, our master is doing in the kingdom. And I believe how we spend, or how we save, or how we invest, and how we use and give these blessings from our master, our master's uh, money and wealth, are all fairly good indications of where our treasure is. In other words, where our heart is. In Psalm 90, when we talked about the stewardship of our time, We saw that we are to live with an eternal perspective in all these things that we're given, including time, including money and wealth. And at that time, I I shared this quote from John Piper. Eternity is long, life is short, live like it. And so in this context, I believe we would say something like this. Eternity is long, life is short, spend and save and give like it. 
So we're to use the material and financial blessings of our master in the light of eternity for his eternal kingdom. And also in, these last, in the last three sermons, I shared this from Charles Spurgeon. Anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, and our advantages as possessors of the Bible. These are all talents. Where did these things come from? Whose hand bestowed them? Why are we what we are? There is only one answer to these questions. All that we have is a loan from God. We are God's stewards. Let this thought sink deeply into our hearts. Indeed, may it sink deeply into our hearts that we are stewards of the living God and stewards of the wealth that our God gives us. And so we begin in this text in verses six and seven. The Apostle Paul tells us essentially how to give through this agricultural metaphor. And he said, uh, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God gives us seed to sow, and he gives us hearts by his grace to give from the harvest. Farmers who expect a good harvest, of course, they don't skimp on seed. To have a bountiful harvest, you need to sow plenty of seed. You need to sow bountifully. And so one seed, in fact, multiplies itself and then res results in much fruit and even more seed. So sowing bountifully literally means here to give a blessing or to spread a blessing out is what it means. We want to share as much as we can, and we want to bless as many as we can with what the Lord has given us. And so the point is that stewards, as stewards, we are to invest and to sow what we are given in order to be a blessing, that it might yield bountiful harvest. Of course, more than just one seed, multiple seeds. And then we can give even more. We are to sow in faith what we are given as stewards, trusting that the Lord of the harvest will multiply it. A key cross-reference, I believe, in Proverbs is chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. And it says, there is one who scatters, broadly, he gives bountifully. There is one who scatters, yet increases even more. And there is one, or there are people, who withhold what, more than what is right. In other words, what they should be giving, but it leads to poverty. And then verse 25, the generous soul or the cheerful giver will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. And then in verse 7, Paul's writing about how to give what is harvested. He tells us that each of us is to give deliberately according to the purpose of our heart as the Lord leads us. Not like Ananias and Sapphira. They gave reluctantly, and I guess you could say they did deliberate, uh, but they sinned. They sinned against the Holy Spirit. We are to give deliberately, meaning also that uh, we can be planned in our giving. We can give in unplanned ways, of course, but really our whole life should be built around regular and joyful giving. Matthew Henry said this, works of charity, or 
giving, like other good works, should be done with thought and design, whereas some do good only by accident. They comply, it may be hastily, with the importunity of others without any good design and give more than they intended and then repent of it afterwards. Or possibly, had they duly considered all things, they would have given more. Due deliberation as to this matter of our own circumstances, our own heart, really, too, and those of the persons we're about to relieve will be very helpful to direct us how liberal we should be in our contributions for charities. We are to plan and to pray, and we are to be ready to give. In verse 5, Paul contrasted generosity then with a grudging obligation. Generosity, grudging obligation. And he says we are not to give grudgingly. I'd like to read Deuteronomy 15. This is a little longer. You might want to turn there. Deuteronomy 15, verses 10 and 11. Or, I'm sorry, 7 through 11. <clears throat> If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of your gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil. That means grudging. Your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved. This is another way of ex explaining what it means to have a grudging heart. Your heart should not be grieved that you have to do this when you give to him, because for this thing, that is open-hearted giving, for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. So as the Lord commands us to give and leads us to give, we should give with a generous heart. So the word grudgingly is used very uh, few times that I could find in Scripture, here in 2 Corinthians and then in Deuteronomy 15. But to give grudgingly means basically to give reluctantly, to give maybe even resentfully. You know, you give, but unwillingly and not from the heart. You know, there's no joy in it. There's no real desire to help and to serve. But you want to look like you do, <clears throat> similar to the Pharisees. They wanted to look <clears throat> like they were good givers, but they were really covetous. Grudging giving, I believe, indicates a heart problem and a lack of thankfulness, really, for the gospel, which was so freely given to us. Probably involved also is covetousness, some selfishness. Probably also, maybe, possibly some fear of not having enough. You know, well, if I give, I might not have enough. So you may hold back. You may feel like that. Or unbelief that the Lord can meet my needs, you might think. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So you don't believe that. It's unbelief. And all these are sin, displeasing to our Father, to our Master who gave these things to us. Thanklessness, covetousness, fear, unbelief, these should have no part 
in any of our giving. A faithful steward is not to give his master's wealth in these ways at all. And if you feel you have a grudging heart sometimes in giving what the Lord has given to you and that he wants you to give, that he's led you to do, he's called you, ask him, pray. Pray that you would see what he wants you to see, that uh, you would delight again in giving, in giving the riches of his grace to you in the Lord Jesus, and you would be reminded of that. In fact, Ephesians 1 reminds us how rich that grace is in the gospel. In him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us. We should be awed at the riches of the grace that we have, we have been given. Our true riches really are in the Lord Jesus. And indeed, as I will point out at the conclusion later, he himself, I believe, is our treasure. Having him as our treasure makes us unbelievably, indescribably rich, beyond comprehension, beyond our ability to give adequate praise. But certainly in heaven, we will know this. In fact, in Ephesians 2, it tells us that uh, in the ages to come, God will show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So I think only then will we understand how rich we have been in so many ways and how giving and how generous our Lord is to have given us our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has given us the Son and how the riches, these riches on earth that we do have how they were all meant, really, uh, and they are to serve to point to him and to turn us and others to him. And so we are not to give grudgingly, brothers and sisters. And, and also it tells us here we are not to give under compulsion, you know, just, just because somebody compelled us to do it by some force or pressure outside of our master's will where we feel we have to give under, under some necessity, and the first example I could think of in this was every year at UNO in the fall, and I kind of dreaded this time. I knew it was coming every fall. They had this United Way thing that, you know, everybody's supposed to give. So somebody in our department was uh, told to go around and re really work on people in our department because it was a competition thing, you know. Can our department give more than that department? And every time they came to me, and I had to explain, I am not going to give. I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be compelled to give. And uh, I didn't want to give to some of what they give to. And uh, they tried to compel me to sometimes lead in that. And every time they came, I explained it again. And they'd roll their eyes at me, you know. And I rolled them back, essentially. <laughs> you know, because I thought, no, I just cannot do this. I'm not going to be compelled. And that was the clear picture to me. What does it mean to be compelled to be giving? Certainly uh, in the body, as we give uh, of the blessings of God to those who are in need as God leads, we should not give in that way. The opposite of giving grudgingly or just under compulsion is to give cheerfully, as we read here, willingly. We give willingly with our whole heart. And it's a great blessing to give that way. It's a great blessing to our heart. And the Lord is pleased with this kind of steward of his things. And it reflects him. And I believe we should be growing like our father who gave his son. He did not spare his only son and gave him up for us all. And we're to become like our master in our giving, our Lord Jesus who gave himself and sacrificed himself for us. Now our deacons and our elders are very thankful for this people, this flock. You are faithful 
to put your tithes into that collection box uh, back there or your, uh, or your check comes to the office and, uh, and I might put it back there. But I would like to make a suggestion in terms of application, a possible application for you all. I believe we're supposed to be joyful in our giving, cheerful in it, in fact. So I would suggest that uh, regarding growing, growing in cheerfulness in our giving, that when you write that check, or when you gather that little wad of cash and you stuff it back there, or when you send a check online, maybe at that time, you should give thanks to the Lord that you can give these things, that you can give it all, and you can give as unto him, and to give it in joy as unto the Lord. And, and don't allow this faithful obedience to become just routine or become automated. May it not be so. Take time every month or whenever you tithe to pray that you will be a cheerful giver of God's wealth to you and that his wealth would be used for kingdom purposes. And then plan, I believe, plan your second and your third tithe also, and that will increase your joy in giving and your liberality, and it will give you a cheerful giving heart. And I'm not going to go over the three tithes here. I, I have some of those if you want to see that afterward, but there's the first tithe to the, Le the Le Levitical tithe to the church. Uh, then there's the rejoicing tithe or the festival tithe for fellowship meals, conferences, vacations, those kind of things. And then there's the poor tithe. And then after those, there were the free will offerings. Matthew Henry said, we should give liberally with an open hand again and cheerfully with an open countenance being glad that we have the ability and an opportunity to be charitable. And the example that came to my mind was in Luke 21. Jesus was looking outside. He was looking at the people who were putting in money, and he saw the widow, and she gave two mites, and those are really small copper coins. It's not silver. It's not gold. And Jesus said, you know, of her, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, everybody else that had already come. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the living that she had. So I believe she gave with a cheerful heart. I, she gave more in proportion, of course, uh, to her wealth than the Pharisees. In fact, she gave it all, uh, and she gave it, it would appear, with uh, joy, not grudgingly, but in faith as unto the Lord. And we have the example of the Macedonian churches. If you're in 2 Corinthians right now, you can turn back to chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. And here Paul said to the Corinthians, Brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. These are, these are people in poverty and in affliction, and they gave abounding riches. They gave liberally. And it goes on, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. And then it says this, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So they implored, in other words, they were begging Paul and those with him, with urgency, it says, we want to give. Please allow us to give. And Paul said that we would receive the gift from them 
And then they would know the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They wanted to be involved in a vital way in the ministry of the saints by whatever God had given them. So this is giving with a cheerful heart. This is with purpose of heart, I believe, as unto the Lord. And so stewards are to give cheerfully because they are so thankful to be given something to give and to bless others to build in their master's kingdom. The second point, stewards are give generously. Stewards give generously because their master provides for them abundantly. Verses 8 and 9, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Indeed, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. He makes us able to do all that he calls us to do, in fact. He supplies more than we need in order to bless others in his name for his glory and his kingdom. First Timothy 6 helps us to understand in this uh, more. It says, command those who are rich in this present age, brothers and sisters, I believe we're in this category, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or proud, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, trust in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy and to use. But he does give us blessings to enjoy. But then he makes it clear in verse 18, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, like the Macedonians, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. That is laying up treasures in heaven. And then Paul gives us an example of this kind of giving from Psalm 112, from verse 9 in our text. Verse 9 says, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And this is a quote from Psalm 112 about the man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his commandments. That kind of man disperses abroad. He's a giving kind of person. He fears the Lord. He delights in the commandments of God. And he's blessed by God. And then he blesses others by being charitable. And those to whom the Lord has given abounding grace and means to give can be involved in good work. Should be. They have sufficient for their needs and then an abundance beyond their need to bless other people. And we see more of this person's character as you go on in Psalm 112, verses 3 through 5. This is the person, again, who fears the Lord, who delights in his commandments. It says, wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. May we have this character. Christians who fear the Lord and delight in his word, they, they tend to disperse abroad. In other words, they are joyful in their giving, abundant. And they scatter seed, they scatter their seed generously. Indeed, the God whom they fear does that. And God's word tells them to do that in a number of places, especially in the Proverbs. Here's a few. Proverbs 21, 26, the righteous gives and does not spare. In other words, he doesn't sow sparingly and so he doesn't reap sparingly. Proverbs 11, I read before, there is one who scatters yet increases even more and there is one who withholds more than what is right or what should be, have been given, but it leads to poverty. And then it says, the generous soul will be made rich. Now, there are different kinds of richness, I believe, but here, and financial is implied here. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Proverbs 19, verse 17 tells us, 
He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. This cheerful giver, this kind of a giver, is willing to spread the blessings he has been given widely as if scattering seed. It's called broadcasting seed. You know, those broad, you know, I have a little push one and the seed goes shooting all over. Actually, I have one I hold too and I crank it and it shoots it all over. That's what we're called to be doing, to disperse abroad. Christians who fear the Lord and delight do that. Proverbs 21, 26 says, the righteous gives and does not spare. So this cheerful giver scatters widely, generously, as God has done um, with his gifts. And cheerful givers grow in righteousness as they give. In fact, I believe giving changes us. It makes us even more compassionate, makes us more Christ-like. Giving to please our master is a righteous act, which can cause us to grow in righteousness. And may we grow, may we here grow in the righteousness of Christ and highlight the righteousness of God and be a showcase of his grace. Many of you know this quote. It was written uh, in a book called The Shadow of the Almighty by Elizabeth Elliot about her husband, Jim Elliot, who died in Ecuador. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And now I believe he was talking about spreading abroad the gospel, but really it applies to everything the steward does with his master's gifts. A faithful steward knows it is not foolish at all to give what he cannot keep himself because his master called him to give it in order to gain then, as a steward, what he can never lose, which I believe, to, in my understanding, is the commendation of his master, well done, good and faithful servant. You are a good steward. So our master gives abundantly so that we can provide also generously. And then point three, stewards pray to God, our supplier. Paul said this in essentially his prayer, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So this is a prayer by Paul to multiply the seed of the Corinthians, the seed that they are sowing, which they may then sow and disperse that the harvest would be increased. Now, on the back of your notes, I just put the, the, six, the eight laws of the harvest that, uh, from Galatians 6. And just looking at number three, it says, we reap a multiplied increase of what we sow. God does this. He multiplies our efforts, our efforts of, of faith. And so we are to pray a number of things. First of all, we are to pray to God who supplies, because he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, for seed and for our seed to multiply, to supply us and then and other, supply others with the fruit of that seed and what we need to live and what we need to serve him, bread. And then we are to pray for the fruits of our righteousness to increase. Giving and investing and tithing are acts of righteousness which bear fruit in more righteous acts in ourselves and in, in others. A harvest of righteousness. Talk about an eternal investment. And speaking of eternal investments, there are a number of really good books out there. Uh, don't, don't be worried, I'm not going to talk about all these. But uh, there are some I just wanted to highlight. In fact, just the titles are, are helpful. 
Ron Blue wrote this, generous living. Generous living. Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. These all have an eternal perspective in them. This one, these are actually mostly Trevor's, so you can ask him about them. Uh, the Eternity Portfolio by a guy named Gothart, and the subtitle is Investing Your Money for Ultimate Results. And then, of course, Dave Ramsey, The Legacy Journey, A Radical View of Biblical Wealth and Generosity. Uh, this one I, I like. It's by Austin Pryor. It's called Seven Principles for Christian Investing, a Kingdom Perspective. So we are to have a kingdom perspective. And the Lord is our supplier. In Philippians 1, Paul prayed this. He prayed that the Philippians would be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He, fill, he prayed for them. Fill those people with the fruits of righteousness. May we here be filled, be overflowing with the fruits of righteousness that we might bless others. And then we are to pray for generous hearts, I believe. It says generous hearts as we are enriched. And in that, as we are enriched, we need to pray, I believe, for several things. First of all, for contentment with what he gives. And we, I believe, should pray for protection from covetousness as we are enriched, from, uh, that he would protect us from the temptation to hoard or to be greedy or to be stingy. John Calvin said, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Covetousness makes us the slaves of the devil. Now, 1 Timothy 6, again, informs us in this regard, and it reminds us, and it says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And then Paul said we should pray for thanksgiving, that thanksgiving would be the result uh, through us to God, that our giving and our gracious God would be praised and exalted. We should rejoice that we can have a part in causing others to be thankful to God and to praise God, which is what we're all made to do. Now, this is not the end of the sermon some may hope that that is coming soon, but I would like to pray. Just pause here and pray. I don't usually do that. But I'd like to pray, essentially, these same things for this body here. Let's pray. Lord God, you are Lord God, Jehovah Jireh. You are our supplier, the supplier of all we need and more. And we do ask that praise you as our supplier and look to you in our need, not to the world, and that you and your kindness and your grace would multiply that which we have sown and scattered by your grace. And we ask that the fruit of righteousness would be increased among us and in others as we are faithful stewards. That you would keep us as we are enriched from covetousness. But Lord, cause us to be generous with what you give, cheerful givers. And that the result of this, Lord, would be that we all and many around us would delight in giving you all praise and thanksgiving. For we ask it in the name of Jesus, our master. Amen. Well, the fourth point is that a steward's service, that is with the money and the 
the wealth that we are given by God, blesses many, blesses many other people. Verse 12 through 14, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the, obe the, the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. So Paul is referring here to the administration of this gift which was promised to be given by the Corinthians. And earlier in this letter, Paul told the Corinthians, again in chapter 8, he said, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that in their time of abundance also may supply your lack, and that there may be equality. So God had given them the means and the willingness, and so Paul was uh, the administrator of this blessing, and he wanted it to be completed. And there are three main blessings here, I believe. First of all, many saints will be blessed through the supplying of needs, the actual physical needs of people. I think, believe these are practical. Uh, this is practical help for those in need. 1 John 3.18 says we are, uh, commands us to not uh, love just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And in James, tells us if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? How does it profit them for you to say, well, have a good day? And then Galatians 6 says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. This stewardship, this action of meeting the needs of the saints shows our, our faith in our master, it shows our obedience to our master and that we are acting because he has shown us how to give. He's blessed us and he's shown us how to give. Secondly, one of the blessings is that many are blessed through, again, many thanksgivings are lifted up to the Lord our God. Abounding thanks are given to God. Praise God that as a result of faithful steward giving, there's an increase of thanksgiving to the Lord our God. How often do we think of this as a result of our cheerful and faithful giving? That it results in the increase of thanksgiving to the God who supplies it all, to the God who is worthy of all praise. And then in verse 13, another proof of a, a steward's desire to minister, another blessing is that many are moved to glorify God, which we see here is manifested in several ways. First of all, that those uh, blessed are reminded again of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ to the giver and to them. One of the fruits of our faithful stewardship in giving and sharing is that those who receive see again the power of the gospel in the lives of the givers. And they give glory to God who gave his son and worked in our hearts to be giving stewards who now give joyfully and liberally of that because God has changed our hearts. And they also glorify God for how liberally and generously we share, that God has made us to be generous as he is generous and uh, giving God. And then in verse 14, the first part of verse 14, it says, and by their prayer for you. People will also glorify God by their prayer for those who give. You know, when people are blessed by you, they're eager 
to pray for you, to thank God for you. And what a blessed result of giving what God has given you to give, that people pray for you. And brothers and sisters, we give to a number of ministries in this church, and I can assure you, because we get letters from them, we don't always share. I should share more of those. But I can assure you that they are very thankful, and they bless the Lord. And most of the time they say, we are praying for your church. They're rejoicing and praying for us. And then God is glorified by an increase of our love for one another as we give. The second part of verse 14 says, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. So people who have been blessed by our faithful giving and sharing long for deeper fellowship with those who have shown such kindness, the kindness of the Lord to them, and who are examples of the exceeding grace of God in his people. Faithful and giving stewards of the Lord remind them of the God of all grace because they see God's grace in us and through us. Well, finally, stewards give. We give from and through the greatest gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So the greatest thanks that result from our giving and the cheerful use of his wealth is the resounding thanks given to the one who is by far the greatest gift. Everything else, I believe, is just meant to point to him, to remind us of God's greatest gift, to cause those who give and those who receive, in other words, everybody involved in the process, to bring all praise and thanks to our generous and our loving master, our Lord Jesus Christ. James 1 says, every good and every perfect gift is from above. Our Lord Jesus is God's perfect gift gift. And Paul counted all things as nothing compared to the value of knowing Jesus, his master. Brothers and sisters, our master is the greatest gift we have received as stewards, and we should daily thank God for his generosity to us, even though it will take us an eternity to do so, because this gift is indescribable. Our master is the greatest treasure we can share. He is our true wealth. He is our Riches, he is our portion in the land of the living. We must never, never let our wealth or the material blessings we have become our treasure, our security, or our trust. Only Jesus should be the treasure of our hearts. He is our indescribable gift, and he is our most wonderful treasure. He is the most wonderful treasure we can give. In the doxology of Romans 11, Paul extolled the Lord, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, treasure Jesus, your master. And as stewards, use all the monetary blessings and the wealth that he gives you to glorify him yourself and to help others give thanks to him who alone is worthy of it. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are your people, your stewards blessed by you to be able to give and to share and to be involved in building in your kingdom. And we ask, Lord, that we would grow as faithful stewards in this ministry to bless many other people and to bring glory to your name. Oh, Lord, may we be ready and willing to give in a manner that pleases you. And may the fruits of righteousness increase and multiply in us and through us and cause abounding praise and thanksgiving to be offered to you. Lord, we praise you for your indescribable gift, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Master, in whose name we pray.
Amen.